we have this unique story of God making a covenant. Now, that's not necessarily a word that we hear a lot. Matter of fact, when I started reading the Bible a little bit more and I'd hear these words covenant, you know what I would actually think of? No, not think of Halo. I think of Indiana Jones, right? Um, that movie with the covenant of the ark and all that stuff. And, and, and I'll talk about in a minute of why God uses covenants. But this passage is actually, I think, one of the uh, most important passages to understanding the rest of Genesis because it really begins to frame up of God's faithfulness to his people. And before we jump into, into this passage, let me just ask you a question. Um, you don't have to answer, you can just think about it, but have you ever been on the wrong side of a broken promise? Have you ever had someone give you their word, shake on it, tell you, oh yeah, for sure, I got it, don't worry about it, for that promise then to fall apart and for that person not to come through? Sometimes this happens in a lot of small things, right? And uh, matter of fact, I think um, last week we had the ping pong table out and, and someone had asked me, like, hey, before this event happens, can you make sure to put the ping pong table away? I was like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. I got it. Well, then like, I, I wake up one morning. I was like, oh, shoot, that's the morning, and that ping pong table is still up. So I sent a text like, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm a loser. I, I totally forgot. I, I apologize, right? I was actually able to get here early enough, and I put it up, and it was fine. But I, I had given someone my word that I would do it, and then I didn't do it, right? Technically, you could say I broke, broke a promise, broke my word. And that's a small thing, a ping-pong table, right? I'm sure that happens quite a bit to you. And, and sometimes, like, the excuse is, like, actually excusable, where someone kind of said, hey, I'll make sure to bring this tomorrow, but then something crazy big happens in their life and their mind is completely in somewhere else. And you're like, hey, I totally get it. No worries. There's that. But, but how about just when a friend makes a promise and it's kind of a big deal? You know, in, in our country, I don't, people quote divorce statistics all the time. I don't really know where they're at, but I know they're higher than they should be. People make promises all the time in front of God and people that I will be with you for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. And yet, divorce happens all the time. Um, I remember watching the movie The Godfather and realizing that people actually do lie in court all the time, even though they're under oath. They perjure themselves, right? That seems scary to me, but it happens quite a bit. And... And it's, it's, it's interesting, when you are on like the bad side of a broken promise, the feelings of rejection, the feelings of meaninglessness, the feelings of like, that this person is the worst, and obviously they don't care about me, they, they can be hard. And, and, and to be honest, there, there could be times in, in life where you're the promise breaker. I think every single person, like I said, in a, in a small way, has told their parents they do the dishes, and they didn't do the dishes, right? Or take out the trash or mow the lawn. Oh, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And we never get to it, right? We live in a world, can I I just say it, in which we are so accustomed to breaking oaths, being the recipients of broken promises, of let down expectations, 
And what is it like when you actually meet someone who their yes is actually yes and their no is actually no? If you meet a friend and he makes plans with you, maybe, maybe the plan is like you're simply going to walk around Capitol Lake. But then someone says, hey, to that same friend, I have switch foot tickets completely free. You want to come with me? And that friend says, no, I made plans with such and such to go on a walk around Capitol Lake. Like, okay, but like, they would understand, right? Like, no, I, I told them I would and I'm going to do that. Thank you for your invitation. What would it be like? I was like, dude, touch me, man. You should go to that Switchfoot concert, right? When we come to Genesis 15, we get a little glimpse into the heart of God. Because can I be honest with you? When we're young, we are very trusting people, which is why we have to teach kids things like stranger danger, right? If, uh, like we all like are taught as kids, I, I hope anyways, like if a guy comes up to the park and offers you candy to go in his van, what do you say? No. You say no, right? We are... Okay. Clearly I'm talking to high schoolers right now. But like we have to teach people at a young age that you can't... Listen, you can't trust everyone. You can't trust everyone. We live in a world in which people's yeses are not yeses, their noes are not noes. People at times are suspicious, and they have multiple motives. But really here in this passage, we get to see the heart of God and how he is a God who makes covenants with men and how he's faithful to them. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk just a little bit tonight about about this God who makes covenants and, and how he's faithful to every single promise he makes and how we're to respond to the promises he makes to us. So before we can jump into the passage, we should probably read it. Would you look down with me at Genesis 15, starting in verse 1? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to them, him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this portion of your word, and I pray, Lord, that it would help us to understand who you are, the God who has rescued us, who loves us, the God who is worthy of all of our worship. So, Lord, we pray that whatever we do in word or deed, that we would do it for your name's sake, to the praise and glory of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So three things that I'd like to look at tonight is what does God promise? How do we receive this promise? And how does God establish this promise? So what exactly does God promise Abram? It's hard, I'll be honest with you, 
This promise was given 4,000 years ago. Isn't it a little interesting for a second to think that we're thinking about things that happened 4,000 years ago and how they're still relevant today? Can I, right now there's a big challenge uh, on social media doing your 10-year photo difference thing. So you're supposed to get like your first profile picture and then put a picture of what you look like now. It's like kind of like on Facebook, you see that a lot right now. And it, you, a lot of people like my age, uh, I got Facebook in like 2006, where you still had to have a, a .edu email address to even get Facebook. You guys don't know what that's like, right? Um, all of my friends who got Facebook right when it started, they did this, and it looks like children on one side, and these other people on, other, on another side. And it's, one, it's interesting, one of my friends who I grew up with, um, I've got, I know him well, I, I have like childhood memories with him, he's like three years older than me, so when I was a freshman in high school, he was a senior, but we, we were still close. Um, ten years ago, when I had a conversation with him, um, it would have been encouraging it would have been uh, very similar to the lot of conversations I have now with Christians. But now, when I have conversations with him, it's so different. Some of the theology and the views that he has are so different than mine that it just, it's even hard to comprehend how someone can change so much. And I, and I told my wife this morning, there's a picture of when we reestablished, rekindled our love from high school. And I took her on a date to Buck Owens Crystal Palace. Um, and I didn't have a beard, and uh, I probably weighed 60 pounds less than I do now, and, and I look at it, and I'm like, I am a child. <laughs> I'm a child. And um, on New Year's Day, my wife and I and a friend, we drove up to Capitol Peak for the sunset, beautiful sunset, and we took this great picture, my wife and I, and I have this awesome beard and the sunset. And I just like, I just, I was looking at our phones, comparing the pictures. Like, that is 10 years. My goodness, how much have we changed? Not just how we look, but in that picture, the first picture, we were just dating. We weren't even engaged. 10 years later, we've been married for eight and a half years. We have four children. We have three degrees between the two of us, right? We've, we own a home. We have had all these experiences. It's, isn't it just a little fascinating how much we change in just a short amount of time? Some of you, I remember when you came into high school youth group for the first time and to see you now, I'm like, Phew. the biggest change is when a sixth grader comes into middle school group and they come to high school and like, wow, it's crazy how quickly things really do change. But think for a second. Think. We're talking about something that happened 4,000 years ago. And can I just say something? God never changes. We change all the time. Matter of fact, the scale every single morning looks different than the day before. Huh. Sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. <laughs> every single day we are changing. But guess what? God never ever changes. And what we're looking at here is the promises of God. God, we saw last week, God took a random guy out of a polytheistic culture because there was no one left to talk about who God was. And God says, through this one man and his family, I'm going to bless the entire world. And so out of faith, Abram listened to God. 
He left everything he knew behind and he went to a different land. And he even went to a land and he had to buy land there that God promised him. And we've kind of, we're not going over every single story of Abram, but there's a few stories we skipped over. But we come back to the same story where God made a promise. He said, hey, go from your family and I will make you great. I'll give you a great family. And, and through your family, all of the earth shall be blessed through this one family. And so here we come to chapter 15. And there's a problem. God gives a promise. Hey, through your family, your name's going to be great. And Abram's like, but Lord, I don't have any children. Like, uh, imagine for a second, you're promised something, and uh, your best friend becomes the recipient of it. And you're kind of like, but is it really my promise then? Hey, Tyler, I'm going to give you free Chipotle for a year. And it's yours. It's coming in six months. But I'm actually going to give it to your coworker. And you're like, it has your name on it. It's yours. But the recipient of it really is going to be a coworker. You're like, kind of imperfect illustration, but you kind of see like, this doesn't seem right. So Abram kind of says to the Lord, hey, I don't have any children, verse 2. And the heir of my house is this guy, Eli. Eliezer of Damascus. And so here's God's promise to him. I love this, by the way. He says, hey, verse 3, or verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Hey, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look up, look up in the heavens, right? When it says heaven, we don't necessarily think actual floating in clouds. Heaven is just the way to kind of talk about the atmosphere. But I said, look up, look outside. Number the stars. Now, I'm convinced that anywhere back then in the, world, in the ancient world had no light pollution, and the stars were just like, like, we can't do this really. Like, every once in a while, we'll take a beach retreat, and like, there'll be a clear night around the beach, and we're like, what is, look at all these stars. And there's only been one time in my life, I was in Yosemite, and we drove up this like, like elevation 10,000 in Yosemite. Everyone's lights were off. And I stood there amazed how many stars there actually were. Just amazed. And people would say, like, do you see that star right there? That's actually a cluster of millions of other stars. And, and, and this, is what God, this is what God's saying. Like, hey, 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 hey. All of this. That's how great your descendants will be. Now, again, to, to me, like right now, apparently, like um, uh, Genghis Khan, uh, every, I think, the, I think the one out of 200 people living in Asia can trace their ancestry back to him. Okay, that's not a good thing. That means he raped a lot of women. Um, but that's, I think, probably most, like, that's like the one person today on, like, on earth that people can trace their ancestry to, like the most, right? It's a lot of people in Asia. Like China alone has 1.4 billion people, and every 200 of those people can trace their ancestry back to him. So here's the thing. 
God is making this great promise. He's saying, you are going to have so many descendants. And then that promise doesn't make a lot of sense to us. We don't really care. Like, when I'm dead, like, maybe people, like, think back, like, 100 years. Like, maybe they do Ancestry.com. Like, oh, Aaron Garnett was a youth pastor? What? Right? I, for us, the promise doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, but let me just tell you something. Back then in the ancient years culture... This is a big deal. Because they, they believed in the name that goes forward is this honor and this, this idea of how your future generations will remember you and your legacy. And really, back then, they didn't have the concept of heaven and hell. They had this concept of when I die, I go to be with my fathers. And so to have a great nation behind you meant that you, you, you had this legacy that you're leaving behind. And so God makes this promise. He says, I will make you so numerous that if you even look up to the stars, you'll begin to see how numerous I'll make you. Now, here's the point I want to make. God here is making a promise that Abram can't, can't see. Why can't he see it? He's not blind. He can't see it because his wife can't have children. Imagine my wife and I were trying to conceive, have a child, and nothing, it's not working, right? And we go to a doctor, right? All these specialists. And, and a doctor looks at me and says, hey, I'm making you a promise. We're going to help you guys make a baby, right? Whoa. Interesting. What can I do with this promise? I can either believe it or I can't, right? That's all you really can do with the promise. When someone gives you their word, when someone says they're going to do something, there's only two things you can really do. Believe or not believe. And so in verse 6, what do we see here? What did Abram do? He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, here's, let me just get a little modern with this for a second, okay? Okay, let me tell you something. God here is not promising you nor is he promising me the same things that he promised Abram. He's not. We're not that kind of church. We don't read ourselves into this story like that. But why does it matter that God makes promises? Why, why is that such a big deal? Again, I, I kind of hinted at it a little bit. In a day and age where things change so quickly, in a day and age where people don't ever keep their word, in a day and age where nothing is the same, what was, it, what was it like then to have a God who actually, when he gives a promise, he keeps it? What was it like to have a God who actually is the same? You see, as Christians, we know that we do believe in a God who gives promises. And what are those promises? That anyone who looks to Christ shall be saved. And what does it mean to be saved? It means that when we die... We have the reality of resurrection and eternal life. We have the promise that God will take what is bad and wrong in our lives and actually make it into something good. We have the promise that God is always going to be with us. We have the promise that we have an inheritance waiting for us. We have the promise that I'm no longer looked like an orphan child, but I'm a, an adopted son or daughter of the Most High King. We have these promises, but guess what? We can't see them right now. None of us have died yet to know whether or not resurrection and reality are really yours. 
I'm told by Scripture that I have an inheritance that's being kept in heaven for me, undefiled, unfading. I am told that I have all the same inheritance and spiritual blessings that belong to Christ. But not yet. And so here's the thing, guys. You want to know what's so remarkable about this passage? Is that the same God in the Old Testament is the same God we worship now. That he gives us promises. And by those promises, we are to relate to him. God does not just say, okay, today, finally, boom, all your problems are erased. He gives us enough to keep going. He gives us enough to live one day after another. One day after another. There's a lot of wisdom. Can I just tell you? There's a lot of wisdom of just saying to yourself, when, when times are hard, all I need is grace for today. All I need is grace for today. Like sometimes, like I have long weeks, and I'm looking like towards like the next couple of days, and like man, like I just can't imagine what that day is going to be like. And and all I can tell myself, all I need is grace for today, grace for this moment, grace for today. See, guys, listen. The way God wants us to relate to Him is by trusting Him, by believing Him. But let me just tell you something. The life that we have in Christ is a life of waiting on the promises of God. It's just what it is. We are, guys, can I tell you something? We are promised some of the most wonderful, marvelous things by God. Things so lofty that it's hard to even explain. Paul says that, right? He had a vision in heaven. He says, I can't even explain to you. We are promised eternal life. But the thing with the promise is that you have to trust the person giving it. And we are so suspicious. One, because we break promises all the time. And let me just say something. Can I just, the reason why you should be a Christian, the reason why you should worship God, is because when everyone else is this close from breaking their word, God never changes. He's always faithful to his word. Do you know why the season of Christmas and Advent are so special? Do you know what we celebrate in Advent? Other than just Jesus coming as a baby, we celebrate the faithfulness of God in keeping his promises. If there's one thing you take away from tonight, remember this, please. My God is true to his word. He will keep his promise. He will save me for that last day. He will sustain me until I make it to glory. My God said so. Right? Don't you just love what, do I, Romans, in Romans 8, Paul is talking about the same thing. God is faithful, right? If God is for us, who could be against us? And then he says this great, wonderful verse, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything else will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he, what's he doing right there? other than just saying, God is faithful to his promises. What has God promised to you? That your sins will be forgiven. That he has a room waiting for you. That he's sovereign over every detail of your life. That he loves you. That he cares for you. That even though things don't always work out the way you want them to, and your grades might fluctuate and You know, your career choices become less and less limited. You know what God promises? 
that your best days are always ahead of you, never behind you. That's the God we worship. That's the God of Abraham. That's the God we read about here. But how do we receive this promise? Now again, right, if I tell Tyler here, Tyler, okay, I'm actually going to give you a month, a year's free of Chipotle. I love Chipotle, by the way. Okay, you can tell. How is Tyler to receive this promise? Now here's the thing. A lot of people talk, there's a lot of debate of whether or not this promise God gives to Abram is conditional or non-conditional. Now we see a lot of these arguments in the New Testament too. Jesus says a few things, Paul says a few things, and, and, and the, the few things are something like this. If you continue my words, you'll prove to be my disciple. If you obey me, you will show yourself to be the one who loves me. If you continue in the faith. If. And so a lot of people struggle. What do you do with all these conditional statements of if? And a lot of people wonder, this promise that God is giving to Abram, is it something where he actually has to hold up his end of the bargain to receive this great blessing? Is there something that he has to do? Because as a matter of fact, we haven't read yet, but there are a number of things that God asked Abraham to do. And the big story is typically when God tells, when Abram finally has his son Isaac, he says, take your son, your one and only son, and take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him there. And what did Abram do? Next morning, hey Isaac, we're going on a little journey, takes him up to the hill, binds him down, raises up the sword, he was going to do it. And what, is, what does it say? What, is, what does God say? Because you have obeyed me, I now know that you love me. So did Abram have to obey God in order for this blessing to be true? Are God's promises to you, the ones we just talked about, the, the promise that God has promised you eternal life and resurrection, the promise that God says your best days will always be ahead of you, the promise that your sins are forgiven, the promise that your, his grace is sufficient for you, is that conditioned on something that you do or is it non-conditional? Because let me be very clear. The Bible is full of if and obey. It's a really interesting question because how you answer it will fundamentally change the way you think of God. Let me just say something. Take great, great solace, and by solace I mean peace, in Genesis 15, 6. Look down at me, would you? It says this, And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. As righteousness. See, here is what Genesis is teaching, and here is what Paul teaches in Romans, and here, in essence, is what the whole entire Bible teaches about how can we really receive the promises of God? How can we be the recipients of such kindness and grace and mercy? Ready for it? Here it comes. Believe and receive. Believe and receive. See, what, what is happening here is what kind of theologians refer to as this doctrine of justification by faith. Justification by faith. This is really important. You want to know why? Because there have been huge church schisms and, and church splits based on this one idea. So a lot of times as pastors, we'll, we'll talk about this thing called the Reformation. 
And it was all around this central idea of how is someone right with God? Are they right by God simply just by believing? Or do they kind of have to cooperate with God? They have to do some good works and they have to obey God. And, and then, then with that, along with them believing, then they can kind of be saved. But let me just tell you something. This idea of that we are saved by our faith doesn't mean that belief is just some intellectual assent. Okay, I believe it, I'm in. Belief in Scripture always leads to things like what Abram did. Because he believed God, what did he do? He was willing to sacrifice his one and only son. Because Abraham believed, what did he do? He trusted God even when it didn't make sense. Do you know why? Because how many 90-year-old women do you see given birth? So it's kind of a hard promise where God says, hey, Abram, guess what? It's not just that you're going to have, it's you and Sarah. And he's like, bro, she's old though. <laughs> like not just a little old, like old. <clears throat> Again, it's hard, it's hard to believe the promises of God. And so thinking about our promises, can I, can I tell you something? Believe and receive, yes, believe and receive, but... May I sound like just super repetitive here? It is always a belief that leads with obedience. If you want to know whether or not you are truly having faith and belief in the promises of God, it will always show itself in the accompaniment of good deeds. You see, the Bible describes works. Works are things that we try to do to earn God's approval. Which is why when I was in high school, there was a small thought of me that if I came to the youth group more, if I read my Bible more, if I prayed more, oh man, did I feel bad about not praying as much as I should have. If I was just a little better with my struggle against lust and pornography, God would then be more happy with me. But do you know what, do you know what I'm expounding in my heart? In my mind, I was saying I'm justified by faith. In my heart, you know what I'm saying? I'm justified by my effort. I was not trusting what God says. I was trusting what Aaron says. And to be honest, it's a fine line. It is a fine line. Because here's the thing. To know and to trust that I am saved by faith, just like Abram, he believed, and, and it was credit to him as righteousness. And when I believe in Christ, guess what? It is a credit to me as righteousness. I am, Paul literally spends two chapters in Romans talking about this one verse, about how Abram is made right with God simply because he believes. But let me just tell you, high schoolers, this is so important. Your belief should always look like the obedience that Abraham showed. An obedience that is so crazy that it even looks like you're insane. Because to believe something is actually to say, I think you're going to come through with this. I actually believe that God is going to follow through with his promises. And if that is true, that if God is really going to offer me resurrection and eternal life, that God is actually really going to forgive my sin, if God actually did die for me, if God actually did condescend into humanity, if God is actually coming back like he promised, oh, how thankful should I be 
How, how much hope should I have? You see, we are to be people, when it comes to the promises of God, who simply just believe it. And out of our belief comes this life, this, this reality of that. I know that I have resurrection and eternal life promise that I should live differently. You know, what's interesting to me, you guys know that, that really famous chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, about this patient, this is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. At the very end of that, Paul gives his usual triad, faith, hope, and love. But he says something. He says, but the greatest of these is what? Love. You want to know why? Because faith and hope are only needed when we are here on earth. Because the second we are with Christ, we no longer need faith, and we no longer need hope. Love is the eternal economy for forever. Forever. But as we live now, what do we need? We need faith, hope, and love. See, the idea of justification by faith alone means that there is nothing I bring to my salvation. And you know what the good news about that is? If you aren't saved by anything you bring, you can't lose your salvation by anything you bring. You see, the marvelous good news of the gospel is this that we are just the recipients of wonderful blessings based on nothing that we do. And it's ours by faith. It's not yours by religious activity. It's simply by faith. And that is how we receive the promises of God. So let me just tell you something. The covenant that God makes with us, the covenant that God made with Abram, is non-conditional. It's non-conditional. We, there is no, nothing on our part that we have to do. It's just simply, okay, you're going to do it. Great. Sounds great. But when we see the greatness of that, do you know what to do in our hearts? It should transform us. And this is why I, I mentioned that, that thing earlier. When we are with Jesus, being a Christian isn't like some obligation. It isn't some robotic little thing that we have to do. It is a delight. Jesus changes the desires of our heart. So that where the Bible became some boring old dusty book, we now see how 4,000 years ago a passage like this is super relevant today. And so the last thing I want to say is how does God show this covenant? Now, I didn't read the rest of this chapter, but there's a really unique story, and I, and I want to tie this into what I'm talking about God's promises here. So do me a favor. Look down at verse 7, verse seven of Genesis 15. Um, I wonder how many of you actually read this before, but it's a, it's a really unique story. So Genesis, so 15, Abram believes, right? So he's justified by his faith, not by doing anything. And verse 7, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half. Okay, so he got some 
Good imagery there. A bunch of dead animals cut in half. Pretty gory here. Keep going. And laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Yay. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Adam drove the, Abram drove them away. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. Again, the idea that you shall go to be with your fathers. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kizanites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and all those different names there. So, kind of a weird story. God says, hey, this is what's going to happen. He makes a promise. How do we receive the promise? We simply believe. But can I... I say this a lot, so I should stop saying it, but I'll just say it one more time. Can I be honest? Although I believe, I don't always believe well. Can we, can we all disagree to that? Like, we all have faith, but sometimes our, our faith is weak. Sometimes our faith is strong. The great story of the man in the Gospels, and he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, if you're willing, would you please heal my son? Jesus gives us exchange. Or he says, if you can, heal my son. If? If I can? And what does the man say? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. One of the best illustrations I can use for this comes from Tim Keller. Two people get on an airplane. One person gets on and they're really suspicious. They, they kind of check the cockpit. They, they ask the pilot a few questions. They get on, they're nervous. They, they think that the stewardess are out to get them. And, and the whole time they're in stress. And they're not really sure. Another man gets on. Hey, how's it going? Drinks his free Diet Coke. Enjoys the free movie. Takes a nap. Has a great flight. Just admires the pilot for how soft and smooth the landing was. One got on and had complete total faith, complete total trust the entire time. One got on and had doubts and was suspicious. But you want to know something? They both made it. At the end of the day, they both got on the plane, made the journey, and landed safely. See, our faith is a lot like that. Sometimes it's strong. We have no doubts. Right? We come to the Bible, we, we come to the Lord in prayer, and, and our faith just seems to be on fire. We're excited, we're thirsty, we're hungry, 
where we're confessing sin, we're growing in the Lord. But there are times where our faith is weak. It's apathetic. We don't believe as strong as we should. But we know that we have resurrection and eternal life promised to us, but that it seems so distant and vague and it doesn't really grip our hearts the way it should. And you want to know something? The Lord knows that about us. As a matter of fact, the Lord told Abram, hey, from your own self shall your own people come. We kind of read a little later that things weren't really happening, so Abram sleeps with one of his servants, and he has his son Ishmael. And, and Abram is someone, can I just tell you something? He didn't always believe strongly. He didn't always have like this courageous, strong faith. There's times where his faith was strong, but there is times where his faith was weak. And so do you know what God did? God did something that Abram would have understood. Back then, when you made a covenant, here's what you'd do. You'd get a bunch of animals, you'd cut them in half, you'd make a row. And what you'd do is you'd walk down the middle of these, and in essence, what you were saying, that if I do not uphold my end of the bargain, may I become like what has happened these animals. Back then in ancient years culture, that's how they made covenants, right? They cut animals, they walk through them, right? And so Abram does this, and he gets this little voice saying that all this stuff about his people one day be in slavery, kind of a, an allusion to Exodus and all that stuff. But what happens? A little fire pot walks down the middle of it. But Abram doesn't. And do you know what's being communicated in that? God is walking through for both of them. In essence, when God is making that covenant with Abram, God is saying, if I don't uphold my promise to you, Abram, may this happen to me, right? In a way for Abram to understand. But the fact that only God did it, you know what he's saying? That if you don't uphold your side of the bargain, I'll also take the consequence for it. And what a beautiful picture of our own salvation. That we are the trespassers. We are the one who have not upheld our bargain to God. We are the one who do not have strong faith. Matter of fact, God is the one who initiates. And you want to know something? God is the one who has always been faithful, who always keeps his word, who never changes. That he takes the penalty for us on the cross. This is the God we serve the covenant-keeping God, that when his people rebel and rebel and rebel, says, I'll take their punishment. You see, we, we have a God who knows that our faith is going to waver. I hope in high school your, your faith is at the lowest. hope you're growing in your faith. But you know what? God gave Abram something tangible, a way for him to understand, to remind himself that this God who made a promise, he went through. And you know what? God, he knows that we are tangible people. We are flesh and blood. We like to feel things. We like to see things. We have senses. We smell. We taste. And so God, you know what he's done for us, for his people, as Christians? He's given us baptism. To remember the waters that wash away our blood, the, the sin. He's given us communion as a way to remind us that He's invited us to come and be with Him, that because of Jesus' broken body, we can have peace with God. 
You see, I don't know if you're really bored or you don't understand. Maybe you're a little kid, you got baptized once, you never thought about it since. But those little things that we do in church, they're meant to be ways in which when our faith is weak, when we have a hard time making God relevant in our day-to-day lives, when we are people who are just prone to do our own things, when we remember our baptism, we remember the goodness of God and his promises. When we drink a little cup of grape juice and partake of a little bit of bread, we remind ourselves that God is faithful to his promises. And that because Jesus died, we have resurrection and eternal life. So we have a God who has given us great promises and we should praise him for him. We respond to those promises by simply just believing And we remind ourselves over and over and over again and to each other to believe. Because in this world, guess what? People break promises all the time. Live in a world that's constantly changing. We worship and serve a God who is faithful and who never changes. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us to live by faith and not by sight. Lord, it is so easy to live our lives going through the motions of of just doing what feels right, Lord. And I just pray that you'd help us to be like Abraham, Lord, who who believes in the promises of God, who believes that there is more to this life than just the material. I pray that we believe that Jesus actually died for our sins and rose again. Lord, I pray that out of our belief would flow a life of fruitfulness and obedience to you, not because we're trying to earn our salvation, but God, because we know of how thankful we should be for our salvation. And Lord, my prayer is tonight for the students here who, whether conscious or unconscious, Lord, their, their faith is weak. Maybe they're discouraged. Maybe they're bored. I pray, Lord, that they would just feast and meditate on the promises you have given to those who are in Christ. Lord, help us to marvel anew again that you have forgiven us of our sins, that your grace is sufficient, that our best days are always ahead. God, make us hopeful. And Lord, help us to just marvel in the fact that you are a God who is so unlike us. Your yes is always yes, and your no is always no. Thank you for being a faithful God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.